Why don't we start in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almighty God, you are the source of true beauty. Bless our class today that we may appreciate the beauty of church architecture in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, before I start, just want to make some strange... Oh, I didn't get the one I wanted. Um, before I start, do we have any questions about church architecture? Because this class is going to be on Gothic architecture. Um, now, the word Gothic um, technically means... Oh, look, see what Kathy is wearing? Kathy is wearing a grit shirt because we all want Kathy to be more gritty. Um, and he has a grit shirt, too. Oh, and so does Gina. Um, so Gothic, technically the word Gothic means dark, uh, but that was used as an insult. Originally it was called the new style. Um, but Gothic means dark, but the last thing Gothic architecture is, is dark. It's full of light. So this class is on Gothic architecture, um, like Notre Dame, Gothic architecture. Um, but before I start, just um, any questions about anything else we've covered in class? Yeah, Mrs. Jean Morano. Oh, no. They created kind of on their own. It happened organically. Now, though, like, technically, there's a couple things you need in a Catholic church. Uh, I'll go over this next time. But in it, from the Old Testament, what three things do you need in every church? Altar. Well, candle, sanctuary candle, and tabernacle. Um, And uh, later it's going to be one cross, not many crosses, each church is only to have one cross. Now, there's a reason why. Two crosses is a bad sign. Um, You need one cross. Um, So, uh, you know, if you're going to say, well, technically, what do you need? You just need, basically, those are a must, non-negotiable. Right. It became, so that's it. Can I answer that by continuing on? Because that fits well into what I'm about to say. So Gothic is a completely new style. Because remember last time, it was Romanesque. Romanesque is big, thick, thick, thick stone walls. I love um, little tiny windows with, you know, these shafts of light. Love that too, but it's dark. Uh, Romanesque are, are very dark churches. And um, then suddenly this great abbot comes up and he wants to have a completely new style. And I'm not really good on this stuff. Um, It starts in France. Um, And so it starts in France and rather than the big thick style, uh, this one abbot, um, uh, I think in French it's pronounced sujet, even though it looks like sugar. Um, anybody speak French? Oh, nobody? Oh, what's that? Suze. Uh, or sugar, sugar. 
Um, and he, he's, he's pictured here in this stained glass actually holding a stained glass window, which I think is funny. He's in a stained glass window holding a stained glass window. I think it's funny because it's funny, but it makes a theological point. Um, this is his, Abbot Chuzet's gift to God, is stained glass windows. And that's what he's offering. So Chuzet's gift to God was this theology of light, of stained glass windows. Before that, very, very uncommon. So uh, Chuzet, um, he came from a very poor family, but was a genius. And he went to school at the Abbey. Remember, schools at that time were just abbeys. Uh, and cathedrals, and um, that's the forerunners to universities. How did, how did Catholicism change the world? We created universities. Um, so churches were schools, and one of his former classmates was the future king of England, uh, so that was his friend. So Chuzet basically invents the Gothic style, and the Gothic style is anti-Romanesque. Um, it's the very opposite. Light, stone looks like lace rather than something heavy. And it's just this kind of higher call. Um, and remember, when you enter, um, our theology is that when you enter a church, you're not entering a building. You're entering a description of the theology of heaven. And, or really, the Garden of Eden. And in heaven... There is always light. If you read the book of Revelation, there's always light. So what Chuzet did was tear down this uh, Carolingian wooden church um, uh, and built this church, St. Denis. And um, the odd part is there's very few Romanesque churches around Paris at this time, which worked to his advantage. Um, because uh, it's hard to tear down a big, thick, Romanesque church, but these wooden ones would be. So Chuzet took this to his advantage, and what inspired him was something completely different. So what he wants is not dark churches, but churches of light, and I hope you can see this. Like, um, this is St. Denis. So think about this. Before, it would have just been a wall of stone with little tiny ones, and like, can you see this, all the stained glass window? Um, okay, so that's what he did. Um, he, uh, instead of thick, heavy walls, he opened the walls up and pierced them so that stained glass windows could be built and flood the place with this, the sacred space with this color and light. So he pierced the heavy stone, and stained glass windows would flood the place. Now, it was a Benedictine monastery, and actually it's just a short subway uh, ride away from Paris. Not that I've ever been there. But um, look at these photos of St. Denis. Um, like, I just think it's a really, it's incredibly beautiful. I wish I could make it bigger, but I'm not that technologically. Kathy, how do I make this bigger? Kathy Sales. Well, how do I go to the bottom, which side? Oh, yeah, that, that made it bigger, Kathy. Um, so do I hit the wrong one? 
Kathy, I don't think you're helping me. Um, <laughs> notice I don't take responsibility. That's one of my keys. Kathy, what do I, what am I, what do I hit? Okay, Kathy, you come up here. Um, anyhow, um, so one of his secrets was, uh, this sounds kind of strange, the pointed arch. Remember, Romanesque has round ones, uh, which is great, except the fact that um, they need to be small and round because the ceilings were... How'd you do that? It's witchcraft! We'll burn her after math, or after class. Um, but, like, could you imagine how stunning this would be if you're just used to uh, really dark churches? He really did pierce the wall. Um, like, I, just walking around. Now, this is an ambulatory, so here's the altar, but he made it so that you can walk completely around it. Um, and the pointed arches, just so much better, because um, what it did was the weight of the ceiling, it splayed outward, so uh, it transferred the weight. So the pointed arches changed the way architecture was done completely and made churches luminous. Now, the point of arch was actually discovered in the east. But so when I say Gothic, you should think, oh, stained glass windows. Um, oh, that's not what I wanted. But um, no, that's not what I wanted either. Oh, that's really not what I wanted. Um, I keep going forward. How do I go backwards? Um, do you have some sort of incantation? I do. Do you need a lighter? Steve, we're still going forward. I know. How come we're not going backwards? Well, I'm going to keep talking as Kathy... Um, um, sorry, uh, yeah, fixes. Uh, so, uh, the, so first is stained glass windows. The second is the power of thin columns and uh, vaulted ceilings. So you'll know Gothic because of that. Uh, instead of these big, thick stone, uh, the stone are thin columns. Um, and everything is vertically thrusted, so you have these high ceilings and pointed arches. That Remember, one of the principles of a church, it should have a vertical dimension. Um, and so the columns, oh, thank you. Yeah, the columns become this op, uh, optical illusion. In these pictures, look at the columns. Uh, that they'll look really, really thin, um, and it holds up the roof. So um, Romanesque architecture couldn't do this. So Gothic architecture pulls you kind of up and to the ethereal. Um, and think about how different this is. So why, to answer your question, why did Chuzay do this? Because he had this theology of light. God is light. First act God does in creation is light. In the book of Revelation, heaven is light. Um, so anyhow, he was reading Pseudo-Dionysius, um, and he comes to this great epiphany that churches should be places of light. If churches are supposed to be a foreshadowing of heaven, why don't we fill it with light? Um, and like, I do love, it's my favorite, is Romanesque architecture. But the big thick stones has this idea of uh, permanence and stability. Um, 
very kingly, uh, Romanesque means kingly. Um, but Chusei wanted to have Gothic uh, capture the idea that God is light. So he comes up with this whole new theology. Now look at the difference. This is St. Bernard of Clairvaux. His churches were all Romanesque at that time period. But like Bernard of Clairvaux, this is a great, like you should read the walls. When you walk into a church, you should read the walls. Well, the walls were really, really thick and were, had tons of um, mosaics because that's how they did it. Chusei is a different, is completely different. Um, so Chusei says, the dull mind rises to truth through that which is material and, is see, and in seeing this light is resurrected from, um, from it, what is submerged. So his big thing is um, light. So the Gothic architecture is going to be light, 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 stained glass windows. Um, uh, so I love that. Um, let's see. Uh, so just a totally different theology that comes about through architecture. Um, the other thing he creates is what I mentioned, the double ambulatory. So here's an overview. Like, here's where the people, the nave, where everybody would be. Uh, here's an altar. But then, if you came into church, you could do this pilgrimage where you come into church and there's all these little side altars that you can walk completely around the church to all you know, relics or uh, all this stuff. So every church kind of has uh, this ambulatory, this uh, journey around it. So it's called a double ambulatory because um, pilgrims could walk around the relics and the side chapels. Um, so uh, incredibly inventive. Where's my pointer? Um, uh, also, natural light just flooded the space. So brilliant. Oh, brilliant. Oh. Um, but look at all these stained glass windows. If you were used to centuries of dark, dark churches, this would blow your socks off. Um, like, look at all the light. Is it, I, honest to God, isn't this a, just a great invention? Stained glass windows, which, by the way, I'll tell you a secret. I don't know how, but I want to get stained glass windows into our church. Um, oh, I don't know why. Um, oh, I know what I was going to do. Um, so, anyhow. Um, oh, if you go back and look at those columns... Once again, columns were very thin, and the stone looks like lace. Um, so there you go. Um, now, at St. Dennis, this sounds kind of strange. Dennis was his bishop from the 4th century, a martyr. And the story goes is that when he was martyred, he was beheaded. He picked up his head and walked to where he wanted the abbey built. Uh, okay, I don't know whether it's technically true, but I love it. Um, <laughs> So that's why it was built there. Um, and Dennis was a great advocate of Dionysius, this other saint, who promoted the theology of God as light. And he was a follower of St. Paul. And then there's this other guy named Pseudo-Dionysius who also revolved his whole theology around um, light. Um, and the banner of Charlemagne was to keep churches... Um, uh, change. So this is a reliquary of the crown of thorns and actually it was um, uh, first 
first. Now you'll find it in uh, Notre Dame. It was at first St. Denis. And so the ancient kings and queens of France were buried there. Um, now, I love how St. Denis architecturally plays out the theme of light in a new way. Because remember, my first class on Paleolithic and um, uh, Neolithic, Stonehenge, Newgrange, uh, all religious site played with light. So um, then they build this other uh, church, very famous, called Saint-Chapelle. So Saint-Chapelle in 1650 was built, and it was a private chapel on the grounds of the palace where the kings were. Um, and so the crown of thorns was actually originally moved, well, moved to Saint-Chapelle. Um, and so you have, uh, when you think of Saint-Chapelle, it's a chapel of the king. So here you have um, King Louis. He's receiving the crown of thorns there into Saint-Chapelle. This is King Louis receiving the crowns. And this is Saint-Chapelle. Now, you've probably seen it before on photographs, right? But honest to God, it's a curtain of light. It would have blown them away. Look at all these stained glass windows. Almost everything is a stained glass window. It's a church of glass. Um, uh, incredibly brilliant. It doesn't that just, instead of thick walls, it's walls of glass. Um, absolutely incredible. Um, so uh, part of its fame was that it was built for the crown of thorns, but Louis um, purchased it actually with, uh, for a great price from the king of Constantinople, but he needed to because that was falling apart. Um, then now the crown of thorns is found at Notre Dame in Paris. So in some ways, the entire chapel is dedicated was dedicated to the crown of thorns and also a chapel for kings and queens. So if I ever make it to Paris, that's one place I want to see. Now, in the 1790s, the uh, French Revolution, it was moved um, to St. Denis to protect it. But then later in the 1800s, it was moved, the crown of thorns was moved to Notre Dame. But uh, on Saint-Chapelle, three-fourths of the chapel is glass. So really is a church of glass, yeah. Well, I don't know. I've, I, I, I can't answer that question because um, uh, the French Revolution will be terrible for the faith, but this is long before the French Revolution. So... This is just a transition from Romanesque to Gothic. That's all I can really say. Um, but the chapel um, is, there's, if you notice, it's all gold, red, and blue, and purple. Very royal um, images. Um, and I know it sounds strange. I also love the ceiling. Um, but So look at this. All these stained glass windows, incredible. Um, but look at that ceiling. It's blue and gold, so it's heaven. Um, I love that. Um, uh, so um, uh, the style of this uh, is, um, like I know this sounds kind of strange. If you ever go to Notre Dame in, in Notre Dame, once again, they have the blue and gold ceiling. Diane, did you have a question? 
So you, I say, I've never actually seen it, just pictures, but I, yeah, but think, you guys are excited and you're used to modern architecture. Imagine if you've gone, if you're, all you've ever seen is dark churches and then you have suddenly something completely different, a, a church of light. And if you're wondering why bl gold and blue, well, it's the night sky, but also the stars and the stars uh, represents saints, but also in the book of Leviticus, as you guys well know, um, uh, you had the colors of the tabernacle were blue and gold. So the tabernacle was gold, but then you'd put blue over it, it was being transferred. So a um, lot of blue and gold, but even look at the lower chapel. Now, this is the lower chapel where obviously there's not going to be stained glass windows because it's sub more subterranean, but what, what's that? Oh, the lower one's on this side. But absolutely stunning innovation in architecture. Um, look at that rose window uh, in the back. So you think the rose windows mean something, but if the altar is where I'm standing, it becomes a spotlight on the uh, altar. It's very clever. Tons of light and color. Um, incredible s stone. Now, Look at the statues in these thin columns. Remember, these are tiny, thin columns. They would put these statues. Um, so, uh, it's, so there was, as I said, uh, still pillars, but um, uh, there's all these statues of saints. Now, um, you have Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, so um, scourging of Christ, every, every little detail. Uh, quatrefoils, that, that's a quatrefoil. All these, that's the uh, um, subterranean part. Um, uh, but no, ex the odd part is, no stone is exposed. It's all painted with color or uh, mosaics. So um, just incredible. So here's another church, uh, Ames. That's, this is in northern uh, France. Um, so, once again, like, this sounds kind of strange. This is called the, uh, what is it, the Wheel of Life. You'll see that in a second. Um, there's one character all around here in the different stages of life, which I think is kind of funny. Like, so I'm 60, so I think I'm coming to the very end. But, um, but look at that, the stone really does look like lace. It's absolutely incredible um, so um, so it's the same person all around um, it, if you study it there's good times bad times and I know it's kind of strange but I think about this years ago um, there's this woman from Montana who had come down to Holy Apostles and I I don't know why this struck me as the funniest thing where she was in her 90s and after mass she says father do you want me to tell you what the secret of life is? So, of course, I'll, I'll bite. So I said, yeah, well, what's the secret of life? And she says, it's handling one damn problem after another. <laughs> and I, I thought about that, and, like, that's very true. You know what you're, I can tell everybody's future right now. You'll be handling problems. <laughs> but, you know, 
God will be with you the entire way. Christ is not going to abandon you. So I love the wheel of um, destiny, the wheel of life around it, because, yeah, through it all, you have God. Now look at these stained glass windows. And isn't that just absolutely stunning? And the stained glass windows were formed by putting different uh, metals on the stone. You guys know that, right? Gold, silver creates different uh, lights. So we can, we can, but you can't really even reproduce these because it's just too expensive. Look at the interior. Um, once again, you're drawn upward. Um, plenty of light. Just It would have been a whole new way. The stone here, look at that. It's light and lacy, not big, thick columns. Um, the uh, floor has a labyrinth. That was really popular at this time. Does, do people know what the labyrinth is? Okay, so um, remember, uh, the idea of pilgrimages, you could do the uh, pilgrimage around the church in the ambulatory, but also the center of these uh, cathedrals, they started to put labyrinths like that. And you would walk it, but you would walk the labyrinth and you'd be praying the entire time, and then when you would turn would be some change in your life. You're like, when I no longer can handle caffeine, um, when I lost my hair, um, you know, the very, but you'd pray your entire life and then you move to the center and the center is God. So, yes. Oh, no, there's no rule. Um, there's absolutely no rule, but like, <laughs> the problem is it would heartbeat with modern pews, like, because think about this. Notice there's no pews. They'll put chairs out, but pews are a later invention. Yes, we could have it outside. And to be honest, eventually I would like to get a labyrinth outside. But you couldn't make it part of the worship space because pews don't have it anymore. But so, like some people, one person said, oh, labyrinth is a new age thing. No, it's not. It's from Gothic time. It's a religious pilgrimage that, you know, you couldn't, not everybody could go on a pilgrimage, especially if you're poor, but you could go to the cathedral and have one. So. Well, by our standards, just burst on the scene. Suzet pushes it forward. He wasn't an architect, he was just a theologian who pushed the architecture. Came up with the thought of, no, we're going to go with light. Like, I, I'm not an architect either, but I think, this sounds kind of strange, I often think of Sujet thinking, I wonder if we could invent a whole new style of architecture uh, that would explain heaven. Not new for the sake of new, but give us some insight into, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know what it would be, but Sujet's one singular insight was light. Does that mean, so it really did burst on the scenes. Um, okay, so that's a labyrinth. You'll notice, if, um, not that I've ever really been to um, no, in many European cathedrals, but um, uh, uh, now this one also, this sounds kind of strange, um, has the supposed head of John the Baptist. Um, so, sorry, that's pretty amazing. Um, uh, let's see, oh, I should have. I would go backwards, but I can't. 
right click. Thank God you're here, Kathy. Um, see, I got, oh shoot. Well, now I can't find it, so. Um, oh, that's not what I want. But anyhow, um, uh, what I kind of like is uh, there's a Mary's door at the right of most European cathedrals. Um, so she's usually placed on the left, and if you want to find Mary's door, there'll be a statue of stuff of Mary on the outside. Um, uh, there is, in the previous one, there was stained glass, but they also started here to use clear glass, but it was kind of a glazed, so you really wouldn't look outside. It would just uh, allow more direct sunlight, um, which I know that sounds kind of strange. Uh, I think that's brilliant as well. So um, you're in, yeah. Made it wavy so that you weren't distracted, you were kept inside the church. Not, like I, I went to this great church in McKinsey River once and um, behind the altar was this long, thin, um, window that went the entire way, and there was this beautiful tree behind it, um, which captured the tree of life, so the outside was coming in. Went to Mass, um, and afterwards, I said to this fellow seminarian, I said, you know, I didn't really pay attention to the homily because I was so enamored with that beautiful tree outside, and said, yeah, me too. So, like, the problem is, the clear glass would draw you away from does that make any sense? Um, so back to the labyrinth. The labyrinth, if you walked, it would take about um, 15 minutes. And in Genesis, it says Noah's Ark was 50 cubits by 50 cubits. So in the square on the floor of the cathedral, uh, 50 feet by 50 feet, they incorporated these geometric labyrinths. Um, so um, also, this is the age of rediscovering Aristotle and geometry, so um, they put all these geographic figures in as well. Um, now, we're going to move to England, and so this is the Cathedral of St. Andrew, um, and the odd part is this is twice as high, uh, not even counting the, the towers, the ceiling is quite twice as high. So now it moves to England, but England even improved it. Um, so, uh, oh, the last judgment also becomes very popular. So here's Christ and the apostles, and um, it's the last judgment, um, which I kind of like to think about. Um, I love these, look at all these, um, the stone is not just stone, it's beauty. Now, this sounds really strange. You see this quatrefoil, and you have these holes here? Uh, so if you went inside, in this little passageway would be singers. Now, this is bizarre to me. I just think this is funny. Um, so, uh, singers would be there singing outside. So, when pilgrims were approaching the church, you would hear music. Isn't that just clever? Uh, but you wouldn't be able to see them because they're, they're hidden behind the stone. Okay, I just think that's brilliant. Like, one thing I like, and this sounds kind of strange, I 
want to do it here. I just don't know how we're going to do it. In my previous parish, when you pulled into the parking lot, um, so I read this book on architecture, just with hotels. When you go to a hotel, like a really fancy hotel, they want to make you start relaxing from the parking lot into the lobby, which I've never really heard of. So they do all this stuff. So I was like, oh, I should do that. So like uh, we had this huge parking lot. So I put up different sections of parking lots, had icons, and they're named after saints. So like, you know, no offense, we have a parishioner here named Bambi, who um, she's always forgetting where she parked her car. But like she could look and think, oh, I'm in the St. Patrick section. Um, so like, and I piped music. So I had uh, Gregorian chant going 24-7 in the parking lot. So even when you're approaching the church, suddenly you're taken out of the mundane and secular. Does that make sense? Um, so I loved how, wow, in the Middle Ages, they already thought of this. Um, so you'd be hearing this. Now, I think this is brilliant as well. The scissors arch. Isn't that just gorgeous? I talk about innovative. Like, holy cow, look at that. Um, I love how the English uh, invented it. Um, and so all these dramatic features, um, the transepts. And so um, they took function and made it artistic. And honest God, this time period where everything was basically poor, wouldn't, wouldn't you think oh, you are stepping into heaven? Um, so I just, uh, Saint, it's the name of the church is St. Andrews, and St. Andrews has, St. Andrew's cross as an X, so that's how they created it. Um, isn't that just absolutely just clever? So, um, now, I want to get to the, notice these ceilings, too. Um, um, now, this is uh, just the lower part, but even that is gorgeous. And look at these columns. So, this sounds kind of strange. Uh, look at the columns. What do you think that column is trying to make? In, think of the Bible. What do you think that column is trying to evoke in your head? It's stylized something. It's in heaven. It's at the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible. Trees. Trees are the third most com common theme. So, um, uh, like, I love these vaulted ceilings. So, let's go to Canterbury. Um, once again, Gothic. Look at that. That's a forest of trees. Do you, like, does, it, does that make sense? Um, it's a can, the church is this canopy of trees. It's, remember in the temple, before the ark, you had this whole room that mimicked the Garden of Eden? That's what they're doing there. Um, uh, so I just think that's absolutely amazing. Um, now, um, let's see, what else? Uh, once again, Gothic has these beautiful, beautiful ceilings, forest of trees, garden themes, um, uh, just stunning. Um, I, does that make sense? Like it's, I just think it's so incredible. Um, now, supposedly, um, oh, the rude screen, I should probably explain that. Um, 
Oh, just in case, the cloak of the Virgin Mary um, was a gift from Charlemagne to Charles the Bald, um, which, just between you and I, I love how in the Middle Ages they would call, like, Charles the Bald, Pepin the Short. Um, <laughs> so my name would be Father Len Short and Bald. Um, um, anyhow, so this also holds the cloak of the Virgin Mary um, that was a gift to Charles the Bald. But think about these. These cathedrals were in the center of town. Um, and above Mary's door, you have um, uh, the seven uh, the liberal arts. Um, now, this is a rude screen. Now, this sounds kind of strange. Rude is just the word for um, cross. So that, it's like this huge communion rail. That, that's really what it is. So uh, that's their rude screen. Um, once again, huge. Um, oh, okay, didn't want to quite go there yet. Um, um, let's see, what else? Um, so um, I don't have pictures of it because I lost it, but um, you'll notice saints will be standing on other saints' shoulders shoulders. So you have prophets and then saints and then a saint standing. Why are they standing on each other's shoulders? Because that's exactly. We're standing on the shoulders of Moses and John the Baptist and all these other saints and we're the next generation. Um, now, uh, in many of these um, uh, uh, the stone had become dark due to years, but originally they would have been light-colored and white. Um, let's see. Um, you have the rude screen. Um, let's see. Running out of time. Um, okay. So that's gothic. Um, now I just want to switch it up. Um, so let's face it. Um, Gothic is the most popular in the United States. So in the United States, long after the Gothic time period, so the next time period is going to be the Baroque, which I absolutely hate the Baroque architecture. Um, love Gothic, love Romanesque. But don't you think it's kind of funny? When churches were built in the United States, they're called Neo-Gothic. Gothic. We kind of shoved off uh, the Rome, uh, the Baroque period. And what Americans seem to like most is uh, neo-Gothic. We like stained glass windows. And um, look at that. So you could easily tell, oh, once again, St. Patrick's. Um, not if you cleaned it up. Uh, neo-Gothic. Um, What's that? Uh, St. Patrick? I don't know, but it would be 19th century. Uh, St. Patrick was built by, really, the poor contributions of the Irish in New York. And think about this. All these people that, they weren't wealthy. Um, they were immigrants. But, you know, they put all their money into this church. Isn't that kind of amazing? Um, but, so like... Uh, 
getting back to this. Um, there's a bishop named Bishop Kelly here in Idaho, and I think it's kind of funny. All the churches in Idaho at a certain time period have the exact same design. So if you ever walk into a church, like anybody been to St. Mary's in uh, Boise before it was remodeled? Okay. Or St. Jerome's. You can tell a Bishop Kelly church. It's neo-Gothic, heavy, or, or actually, um, kind of like St. Thomas. That's a Bishop Kelly church. Does that mean, like, it's the exact same style? Bishop Kelly was kind of a... Um, we'll say rigid or clear-visioned. <laughs> um, like, he's not going to have any, like... Um, <laughs> he was Irish, but um, he wasn't going to have any goofiness. Like, he was kind of kind of harsh in some ways. He says, nope, nope, not trusting priests. This is the design. This is what you're going to do. Stained glass windows, blah, 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 blah. Now, the odd part is, some people think, and I... I applaud Bishop Kelly because, um, like, I distrust priests as well. It's a huge problem when a priest builds a church because you're often left with the afterthought of, what were you thinking? <laughs> um, so Bishop Kelly just eliminated all that goofiness when the church was expanding in Idaho, poor as it was. Uh, he wanted neo-Gothic. But most Americans, when they think of Catholic churches, what they really think is neo-Gothic. Now, some people mistakenly think that all Catholic churches are neo-Gothic. No, Jose invented that as a reaction against Romanesque. Does that make sense? So, going back to your original question, I really would love to be the new Jose. Um, I, not that, not out of pride, but. Wouldn't you love to invent some whole new style of architecture that think, oh, that's from the Idaho period. And um, the Idaho period, but not just new for the sake of new, because my opinion is whenever, whenever a priest builds a church and wants to be new for the sake of new, it always turns out like dog, dog poo. Um, yeah. But like Shuzay, he wanted to stick with this idea that and this is really important. You're, a church architecture should pick up the Garden of Eden and the Book of Revelation. Does that make sense? Um, and so Suzet was light. Not, I don't know what the next architectural church insight would be, but wouldn't it be great to think, like I always kind of think you have all these new building uh, materials and Kevlar. And so how Suzet made it so that the stone could be light and lacy and punch holes in the wall, wall is flying buttresses. So the fly, flying buttresses could dispense the weight throughout it so you can open up the walls. So he just took, um, he didn't really invent, he just rearranged. Well, think about this. We have Kevlar, and, uh, not Kevlar, um, bulletproof glass. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but we could make a church of glass as well, like a you know what I mean? And somehow when you walked in, think, oh, I'm in the Garden of Eden. No, I'm in heaven. I'm in the Garden of Eden. Um, does that make any sense? So. Um, 
Yeah, but young people are not really inventive. I, I know that that's my prejudice. I don't find young people, they're provocative, but not inventive, right? I don't, I don't really find that. Um, that. That's just my prejudice, I guess, because now I'm a grumpy old bald man. Leonard the bald and short. Um, anyhow, yes. Oh, yeah, well, so here's my criticism of this particular church. Now, this is more about next class, to be honest. Um, but, like, it's just kind of funny. The, guess which part of this entire complex is the most stable? Yeah, the one from the 50s. They built things to last. And they had a hard, they didn't have our technology to build. Anything built after that kind of falls apart. So if you're going to build, build it right. Um, I don't really think, like, you do have to think about cost, but build it right to begin with. Um, yeah. Okay, that, that gives a different theology. No offense. Um, they did this study. Everybody at that time period contributed to the church. So like when I was at um, Holy Apostles, I was very proud that 50% of all registered parishioners gave regularly. That blows the water out of most churches. 50%. Most of the time, it's 30% who support everything else. And nothing drives me up the wall more than say, well, I, I don't give to the church, Father, but I do pray. Well, thank you. Um, you're doing the minimum. Um, but, uh, so anyhow, like, at that time period, everybody gave, as poor as they were. Holy Apostles, we were at one time the wealthiest church in Idaho. But the joke was, um, I may have a couple engineers, because my church was mostly teachers and cops. Um, uh, I may have a couple engineers in my, you know, my parish, but St. John's has the owner of the company. Um, but like, if everybody gives, it works. But the modern world, I hate to say it, you're lucky if a parish 30% gives. So, I don't know, I'd have to ask Deacon Chris. We're, I hate to say this, we're pretty, this parish is a nice oasis of highly committed uh, parishioners. So um, we're really good that way. But you can look at a parish book and realize what's going on. No. Are, are those the ones that make the coffee? Yes. Oh. No, this sounds kind of strange also. Like, just building the school, St. Ignatius, if you do it right, it sets a fire on everybody. You know, like, um, and everybody was so proud of the school. It really, it won the architecture award for that year because it was a different type of school, like completely different. When you walked in, um, 
when you walked in, you're in what was called the commons, and like the diocese strongly did not want us to build that style. But luckily, I'm so open-minded, I just did what I wanted. <laughs> so when you walked in was the commons. Now, technically, it's a lunchroom. And like the bishop didn't want to No, when you walk into a school, you want to set the right tone. And why not walk into a library? Uh, because you need quiet. So you had this common, it's about this size, let's, except you'd walk in, like, it's this size, this way. And on this wall was this huge mosaic, absolutely gorgeous, of St. Ignatius, because it's called St. Ignatius, and then all this symbol in the, did I say mural? Um, it's not a mural, it's a mosaic uh, of this river going through, because St. Ignatius, his major conversion was by this river, and then IHS in flame, this mystical vision he had. Then over here was a mosaic of holy apostles. And then all these sheep, because there's an homage to the Basque in Idaho. Um, so everything, and then even the first, the kids from the first year of the school opened, they'd come in and make a fish out of mosaic. Um, and if it was like, like, let's say your sisters, your two fish would intersect. Does that make sense? And so, like, uh, if you were four kids, all four fish would intersect. So you could go back years later and say, oh, no, that's me, that's my brother, that's, um, isn't that kind of neat? And so, and then we had stars, but all the stars had, a, um, we had stars because St. Ignatius loved astronomy. But um, the building committee, you picked out your favorite saint, and that star would have, uh, it's only about this big, uh, icon of your favorite saint. So mine was San Martin de Porres, and he's one of the stars, but it's just this beautiful mosaic. And so you'd come in, and this is where, this sounds kind of strange, kids would dance and do weird stuff in the commons. And then the, uh, these tables would, sorry, I'm getting too detailed. These round tables, one round to create community. Round tables you could pull out and, and fold, and it becomes the lunchroom. And then you can fold it back up. The cement, the flooring looks great. Um, it's beautiful. Um, that's where they'd gather for their morning prayer. Um, so all the kids would gather together for Advent and Lent, and they'd all they'd have a section and speakers in front of this be beautiful mosaic. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, anyhow, blah, 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 blah. Then one more thing. Um, we don't have hallways at St. Ignatius. We have pods. And so this sounds kind of strange. It's, or you could say they're really wide hallways. So what would happen is that if this is one room, and so this is third grade, and third grade is also across the hall, um, you can, it's a glass wall, garage door, and uh, it would, so it's all glass, and you could just raise it up, and then the two classes become one. Does that make sense? Uh, or you can put it down, and then in this huge hallway, different areas, um, they had all these workspaces. So if a teacher said, okay, now I want you three to go do your homework out there, and these, does that make any sense? So that um, the hallway would be a quiet workspace versus the um, classroom, but the teacher can easily look out the window and see what's going on, because <laughs> the whole wall of glass. Um, 
and each, the furniture changed. It was so amazing. The furniture changed so that it was fun and light and bright in the kindergarten section, and by the time you got to the seventh, eighth grade pod, it looked like Starbucks furniture. You know, uh, high tops and, um, anyhow, we won the award, but my whole point about that was, it's kind of funny how our architecture can unite a community. And people really got into, oh, the fish, and um, like the whole thing just set the place on fire. It, people said, I can't believe they built a school for 500. It was fun. And then before they put on the flooring, there's all these cement floors and stuff. We had people come in, I know this sounds kind of strange, and like I did it, you would write a prayer on the cement. You know, like uh, you could come in and write a prayer on the cement and it's gonna get covered up, but like just month after month we had different ways or we got um, dirt from the Holy Land so and put it in the dirt before we even turned it over, so this is Holy Land. Like, this sounds kind of strange. Architecture has this power not only to help us worship, but unite a community together. And so we did the same thing. We constantly did these drone sightings and put it on, like, architecture can unite a community. But this sounds kind of strange. You need to start with a united community. And then, it, you know, unity, you can do great things. But architecture should express theology. Architecture should not just be functional. Oh, sorry. Do, do. Oh, I I will look at. It. I I want to check that out because I I would love to, like. Wow, I did not know that. So if we built a church, I would do the same thing. I'd have parishioners come in and write uh, prayers and their names on it. Oh, that's Orange County, not Los Angeles. Um, I don't really have any, I mean, I think at first it was ugly, I think Robert Schuller was ugly, but I think if you have somebody who is inspired by the Holy Spirit, they can turn it into something Catholic. Um, and remember, um, what was one of the first persons in the Old Testament to re give, well, not the first, but one of the first to, in the Old Testament to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit poured upon him was an artist. And um, he came up with a design for the tabernacle. And then it says that St. Raphael guided and inspired the construction. So I love the fact that ah, architecture, like our church was built for function, not theology. So. Okay, so next time we're going to do um, uh, two things. We're going to do um, Baroque and um, um, this 
counter-Baroque movement that started in uh, kind of in the 70s uh, that was the opposite of Baroque, um, which also is its own problem. Um, anyhow, God bless, and we'll see you next week. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.